This must be 47. podcast. Hello and welcome. It's nice to be back. I'm here with Tyler. Today we're going to be talking about Aziz Ansari's new comedy special. It's kind of a new thing for us, kind of an experiment, and we'll see how it goes. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing good, Sven, depending on how this goes. We want to thank everyone for listening to the show. If you enjoy what you're hearing, subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate you telling your friends about it. We appreciate how the podcast has been growing. A lot of cool stuff going on. Getting to talk to cool people out of it. And thank you. Oh, sorry. We've been away for a couple weeks. <laughs> you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are here. Yes, we are. So, Tyler, how we haven't seen each other or spoken with each other for two weeks. This is the most we talked to each other before the show started. We Eventually, did. It was just like we should start recording. But yeah, so we tried this thing where we wanted we wanted to do two episodes, but we ended up getting distracted before we're too old to die young. And then we Sven was going out of town. I was going out of town also, but we just say it was because of him and kind of block recorded and then rolled it out. So I kind of got to listen to it over the course of two weeks, putting the episodes together, but now we're back. It's nice, which is interesting because we didn't plan to make that a two-parter. It sort of just happened, and it became a much longer session. And halfway through the session, my director actually walked in, and I was <laughs> about to go into an edit, so he had to sit there for another 20, 30 minutes as I was analyzing oh, man. too old and die young, and I was texting him back and forth, so... Sometimes I sort of dropped off during that podcast, just trying to crisis manage things. We would never know. And then at the time of recording, I, I got a hold of you. I was like, hey, we should do the too old to die young first, because I feel like it's just going to become like a big thing. People are going to be talking about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's do the second part first. And then I had watched nine and a half episodes, and then I finished watching it and was kind of like, oh, yeah, people might not be talking about this. And also then Stranger Things came out. So I haven't heard anyone talk about Too Old to Die Young since we recorded that episode. <laughs> I don't know if we started a conversation about it. But um, yeah, that was kind of the, the process. Well, I wouldn't know. I was gone. I was in Hawaii. Hawaii. And uh, swam with dolphins and manta rays. And now I'm back and excited for the rest of the year. Lots of interesting things I want to do with the time that I have. Yeah, what now. do you have going on, Sven? Well, I was going to like devote more time to the YouTube channel. There's definitely an episode coming up with uh, Vashi. I don't know if you know Vashi. He's an editor that's pretty well known in the social media stratosphere because awesome. he does all these interesting social posts about like how many cats are in Jaws or The Shining and it does all these like screenshots of them and you can really go through the entire film and see like how long shots are and how few cats there are compared to nowadays, that kind of stuff. Really interesting. Huh. That's a big thing. I know from, yeah, because there's an every frame of painting video that is cool that does the comparison between Ant-Man and Star Wars. Uh-huh. And that's one of the ones I post for my class. So a lot of them had comments and thoughts on that. The, the thing that Ant-Man is how. so short, right? The cuts are so... Well, it's tightened. It's tight, it's much yeah. tighter and it's like the same kind of moment, the hero rec realizing or experimenting with their powers. It's a weird thing where I, I do feel like it would be more impactful to obviously spend more time on those moments in Ant-Man, but I always wonder, like, in this, you know, commercial world, this world of commerce, it's just a weird thing. Is it better that you just kind of speed through it, <laughs> you know, in the case of Ant-Man? Or, like, are they are they not giving that movie the opportunity to create the emotional investment? You know, because it's a clear choice. Like, it's there to happen. Yeah. What's driving the choice to tighten it? My point is that Ant-Man versus Star Wars, maybe ultimately Ant-Man's not going to have the impact of Star Wars, so having that <laughs> deeper weight to the character, why do that up front when at the end, you know, it's just not going to, it's just never going to carry the significance. I mean, those are kind of the tough decisions to make, I guess, but maybe it's better for the movie to sacrifice <laughs> the better, more drawn out editing. Yeah, if I'm, that, if that I'm makes not any sense. sure. I feel like 
in general now the problem with movies is that they don't take their time to make us care about the characters they have to like get mm -hmm. things done in the first act like if there isn't the killing in the first three minutes or whatever it is like the big thing that happens inciting incident then the movie supposedly has a problem i'm missing that but maybe it's just because i was young at a different time and i'm nostalgic about the movies that i grew up with but i think what the process what's happening is you cut a scene and it feels good it feels right you do a little tightening and then you're kind of done with it and this is sort of what's happening right now with the movie that i'm working on and then you sort of live with a movie and you see it with a bunch of people and every time you see it, it just fe feels like it's dragging to you. And then right. you start tightening it up and say, oh, we need to we need to get through this first act much faster. Right. And you start shaving things. You take out a couple of lines, a couple of frames, a couple of seconds here and there. The risk that you're taking is that you really, because in the moment you built this to work emotionally and you gave it that breath so that it's working, and now that you're so close to it and you've seen it so many times, you can't feel it anymore. So you feel like you need to make it tighter. And then you, in a way, you're kind of destroying everything that you've built unless you really know what you're doing or you really like doing test screenings with a neutral audience where you can really feel how they feel i know james cameron said instead of like shaving things off if you feel like the movie plays long think about either like restructuring taking out a character or story beats in its entirety to make the movie work instead of trying to like make every right. scene like 10 percent shorter that usually fails you you really cutting off the emotion and maybe that's what happened in ant-man with that scene well there's a few points that this makes me think about one is the effect that digital technology has on the ability to just do those shaves and tighten it and let's try this and oh now that and then also the idea of again you know trimming things down to get you, you know more screenings in a day or whatever yeah but then it's also led to this other kind of paradoxical thing which is the other side of it which is that it's also led to this kind of rebellion amongst filmmakers that appreciate the filmmaking you're talking about the stuff that that i enjoy the real classics the ones that are being remade now yeah that are now in movies like say the master or the stuff james gray is doing or ironically even scorsese in the wolf of wall street with Thelma Schoonmaker, they made an effort because they, you know, much more successfully done like the faster editing mm -hmm. in their films. Mm -hmm. They wanted, they're making an effort to have these scenes that really play out. And of course, there's like, you know, stuff like The Revenant and Birdman and these things that are really holding for a long time and drawing, you know, kind of a, a attention to it. But there are also filmmakers that are doing these long shots that have no cut and you almost don't even notice it. And exactly to what you were saying with the wolf of wall street that was a movie that had like a three and a half hour runtime or something like that mm -hmm. they literally the distributor who i guess now is in jail in malaysia or sorry the whoever it is like that was the financier but mm. whoever it was was like no this movie has to be three hours and they'd made an effort to do like the longer shots and and, and kind of twist the 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 cutty thing that they'd kind of helped start but then also shoemaker said that she managed to cut half an hour out without losing a single scene. Mm. And it's kind of like, wait, what? And you see the movie. I mean, you know, there's a lot of great stuff in Wolf of Wall Street. But to me, overall, it kind of just does kind of lack that that weight in a way that, that we're talking about. And it just, I mean, it's alarming to me to think that you can lose half an hour without losing <laughs> any scenes. It's <laughs> possible. Like, well, what was it yeah. before? I've done it before. Like, I mean, not lose 30 minutes, but like lose... 15 minutes out of a 105 minute movie and you don't know where the cuts were but it feels different it definitely sure. feels rushed but now losing 15 minutes without losing any scenes or story points yeah yeah, yeah. and wolf of wall street definitely has like some long take you know stuff that plays out it's just like yeah. i don't know it's just weird and it just seemed like to me to me and maybe we should do a scene from wolf of wall street like there's a couple scenes that i think could be just removed completely from that movie to give it like a good 10 minutes like there's there's a scene where they're i mean maybe we should save it for a future episode but there's a scene where they're debating 
you know, hiring, you know, small people for a party and just say, and I don't, I can't, I've watched it recently. I can't for the life of me figure out why that scene has to be in that movie. Yeah. And what the point of it is aside from like, oh, look, Leo's doing improv. I definitely remember watching the movie that it didn't feel long or rushed. Like I felt like I was engaged the entire time through. But I yeah, I can appreciate what you were saying that it, it's maybe missing some weight. It definitely feels like a ride as opposed to a movie that like makes us feel like we're better people for a day or two. A great movie will it lifts you up in a way or puts you makes right. you makes you feel really heavy because it's so depressed. Whatever it is that they're trying to do, it it stays with you. I don't think Wolf of Wall Street stayed with me after i saw the movie i was like oh right. that was cool moving yeah, on yeah that was executed perfectly in all capacity you know <laughs> in every every filmmaking capacity and, and like you're saying including the editing yeah but yeah it didn't uh it didn't it didn't linger yeah. like other scorsese stuff and yet at the same time has that amazing scene where he's one long take of him trying to get into that lamborghini or whatever where <laughs> yeah. you know obviously they weren't like cutting around it and also that's the only take the only coverage that was filmed for that oh interesting which is amazing yeah, but that's another conversation, Sven. Um, and totally. so the thing I just want to really quick because this is something I want to bring up on the podcast. We've touched on two things: one, Leo; two, uh, yesterday. Because I'm curious to people listening to the podcast. I'm curious if you get to see it, Sven, the Danny Boyle film about the guy the Beatles get kind of erased from Earth, but he remembers their songs, so right. starts singing them. Yeah, um, and it's Danny Boyle, so it's phenomenal. It's amazing. I mean, I still think Train Spotting Two is like maybe the best movie of that year. I don't remember what else was out, but <laughs> no matter what level he's making a movie at, like he's doing incredible stuff. So, it, so it's a really to me, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was great, but there's a definite thing. This isn't like a spoiler or anything. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. I really look forward to doing the opening analyzing the opening on this show because there was definitely something about it where objectively I was like, oh, this is being cut, like rescue edited, like to make it fast. Uh Kind of exactly the thing we're talking about. And like, why would you sacrifice you know, these possible moments of having them more weight? And then as the movie goes and you realize like what a Russian doll of of stuff it is, you realize, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, sometimes you just get in that situation where it's like, well, let's just move through this because there's a lot more you know, treasure waiting. So I'm just curious if anyone saw the film, if they had that reaction or, or looks forward to us maybe looking at it and talking about it, even though I've poisoned Sven with my opinion already. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. You said Russian doll. I think today we might be hinting at that today as well with Aziz. I think he has that similar strategy. Before we get to <laughs> it, though, I have some user Let me comments. do my Leo thing real quick. Oh, sorry, so, go for so it. So Leo... So the reason I, you know, Leo ties together is because the trailer, I've seen uh, several movies because I had a little time to do so. And I really thought that I even wanted to do the the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood trailer on this show because I yeah. just think it's so incredibly well done, the actual trailer. Yeah. Because it, there's just so many levels to it and places that it goes just within a small amount of time for something that's overall it seems just like a fun experience. But... For some reason, all these movies I'm seeing, they're playing the teaser trailer, which I think is so weird. In the first movie I saw it with, I was like, oh, this is a bad indicator for this movie because they're playing a very glib trailer. I forget what the movie was, but it was you know a movie that ended up being very glib. But then they've subsequently, every movie I've seen, that trailer has played, and it's always the teaser, which is very... Is it shorter? Is it very, maybe very that's weird to me. That it's like why? a one-minute teaser trailer as opposed to a five-minute full-on trailer. <laughs> Yeah, they've done the actual issue we're talking about just in trailer form. Yeah, that they just want to cram in a lot of trailers. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> and again, it, AMC makes you watch 20 minutes of fucking trailers now before the movie starts. So yeah. thanks for, for thanks for rushing one. I'm sure for every trailer they play, they get a little money. So if they put in more, they get more money. So how was the movie? Which movie? Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It comes out at the end of the month. Oh, you haven't seen it. Sorry, I'm not up to par. Still on island time. No worries. User comments. Here we go. <laughs> He's still on Titanic time. I can't get over it. <laughs> I got a message from Andrew, and people are actually now tweeting me, which is nice. I Yay. say that while this is an email. I recently had a bit of a surgery <laughs> on my eyes, and while recuperating, watched a few of my favorite films with only headphones. So he wasn't seeing the film. He was just listening to it. Oh, cool. 
I was drawn to two scenes in particular, one from The Hunt of Red October and the other from Master and Commander, which seems to have been edited with the audio as a top priority. He gives oh, me yeah. links for those scenes. Though the actors are co conversing and reacting, the Red October clip maintains the consistent pace, the lights flashing and ticking. In the Master and Commander clip, the unbroken erratic breathing of the doctor operating on himself makes it mm. come off as a one take, but that seems unlikely. It would be great to hear a breakdown of these scenes, what decisions, if any, might be made during production and how an editor would approach them without sacrificing the actor's lines and a natural timing rhythm of conversation and reactions. Thanks, Iraq, Andrew. Really cool. Very cool. We should take a look. Yeah, mastering that scene in Master and Commander is an example of one that lives on with you, where he's they're trying to fi figure out how much of his clothing went into his body with the, with the bullet and if they got it all. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, and well, Peter Weir's film that I think won an Oscar for sound. I think it definitely won one for for uh, production design. I think the guy who went on to direct Maleficent, but he was a production designer became a visual production designer so he did oh rob stromberg so he did avatar he did mm. he had like back to alice in wonderland he had like back-to-back -back oscars mm -hmm. um, anyway sorry no worries i have another comment uh this guy edits i would like you to review the new child's play movie please <laughs> oh god <laughs> okay and we will yeah now i have an excuse to see it thank you it may not happen soon but once it's on video Yeah, we have a couple of ideas. I was thinking about doing her as well. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I think that could be really cool. And then I have an email exchange Speaking here. of Spike Jones. Yeah, and I want to take a little bit of time to go through this. If And you can cut this out if this is too long. But it's it's interesting because I always talk when you hear me on the channel or in, in the course that you, the way you break into the business is you got to kick down a back door. It's not, there is no front door available 99% of the time. Like whatever you try that you think is the way to do it is probably not going to pan out. Like responding mm -hmm. to an ad and send out a resume will not render you a job 99% of the time. <laughs> you won't even get a call back. Um, well, if you're sending one, right. Yeah, okay. If you send 100, then you get one interview, right? So exactly. you should right. still do it and you might that might be the way to to go for it but i think the backdoor strategy is much much more effective and you what i'd be, be too dreary but also that job will end so basically you have to be committing that that's like the job for the rest of your life you're always going to be kind of like you know looking for work and more importantly like making genuine contacts that'll lead to stuff with people you want to work with and projects you want to work on yeah yeah And what I mean by backdoor is you kind of create an opportunity for yourself where there is none or there's not one officially publicly available. And one way is that you just approach people and provide value to them, right? You hit up an interesting filmmaker and you say, hey, I saw your film. I really enjoyed it. The thing is the backdoor strategy works quite often. Like I have an intern starting this week and she approached me sent a resume off somehow she figured out a way for me to be intrigued in the email that we set up a call and within the first 30 seconds seconds of the call i'm like wow i need to work with her because she could really show that she's cool she's got the goods in terms of she has the skills And she's going to fit right into the machine that we have going on here. So this is nothing where I sent out a resume, an ad and said, hey, I'm looking for an intern. I wasn't looking for an intern. I'm like, okay, this person is so interesting. I need to, f I need to find work for her so that we can try this out. And that happens all the time. That's how you get jobs. And sometimes it means you have to do something for free a little bit And then once you once people realize, wow, this is so much value, this is actually materialistically valuable to me. I'm I I would be foolish not to pay you to stick around. And if you're the right kind of person, and uh, that goes both ways, 
um, that completely has nothing to do with taking advantage of people. It's giving people an opportunity where you test out whether this is going to work out. And when it does, you're so happy to figure out something that works for both sides. And you realize the degree to which you're doing a recruitment podcast. <laughs> I feel like you're going to get so many emails. Yeah, which means this backdoor to is going to get harder and harder to kick open. So you got to. Oh yeah, one, yeah. That's harder. the other thing. Once it's been kicked down, then yeah. you know it's it's hard for the next person to kick. Yeah, it's it. find another way. But you're also kind of framing yourself as the gatekeeper and the, and the ultimate backdoor to get to you, where there's actually a whole world of opportunities out there. And it's, I mean, so much of it's relationship-based. It's just, yeah. you and know, having a good reputation, working well with people. Because you never know who of your friends is going to be in a position to, to recommend you for something. Or Yeah. And it's so much easier to actually get the attention of the top dog than it is to get the middleman. Because the middleman is wow. like in a defensive position. So if you get like a director that you're really excited about or an editor, like if you know oh, this, these movies are all edited by the same dude, I really love what he's or doing lady. or she, find a way, emails, Twitter, you can talk to anyone. You can talk to Elon Musk, right? It's, you can get a response out of that guy. All that matters is what is it that you have to say. The channel is available to you to get a reaction and that's a backdoor so i just texted musk um got right back to me <laughs> and uh he wants us to talk about uh to get into the clip analysis nice i love <laughs> it let's do it <laughs> so let me do a little setup to explain so sven the podcast has been doing very well it's very fun for us to do we've kind of been you know figuring it out more and more in terms of of what it is, looking at stuff, giving our insights, more about the production and execution. Oh, by the way, should we talk about that video I sent you from the director of Shazam? Um, he put a cool video essay out. We might link to it, but it was talking about oh, the yes. thing that I think is a big... Yeah, it's like a theme on this show, which is factoring the production restrictions of the stuff that we're giving feedback on like if you have a problem with something there might be more into why that happened and maybe some lesson in avoiding it in the future or how actually you know the the quote-unquote bad edit is actually a genius edit because of the horrible train wreck it's saving down the road and and it's a cool video of pointing out the flaws people have pointed out in shazam and just you know it's like minuscule little things but like, look at all this crazy stuff that was happening on the set and, like, what we had to factor. And, like, there's this major story thing that... Look at how we had to do this whole drawn-out, <laughs> like, shot lane block, like, an extra, like, two days of shooting just to explain why a character has a jacket on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's cool. It's really... It's a fun video to check out, and I thought thematically fits with something we bring up a lot on this video. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people this talk podcast. about this video. It's been shared around quite a bit. And it's interesting to see um, why a certain character appears in in a scene and doesn't and why they're wearing jackets because it's solving problems down the road um so it's interesting to figure out but i i have to say probably in the moment when you watch the movie you're not questioning any of these refrigerator logic moments like why exactly. they're wearing jackets doesn't really matter you could have just cut exactly straight yeah to it right and so that's why it's fun to analyze stuff and look at like oh what was the opportunity here what why did this why does this work the way it does yeah so to, to set up this clip sven decided to do the antithesis of it because the <laughs> podcast is working out so well what's the exact opposite of what we've been doing that's been working oh i know let's look at some stand-up comedy a stand-up comedy special there's no traditional uh, yeah, you know, cinematic I'm, structure i'm always like happy that. to experiment with the format and the reason why i picked this is because when I wa watched the special, something happened to me that I thought in terms of the storytelling is really interesting. And I'm, I'm, my attempt is to make this a real, really nuanced analysis. I don't want to have an opinion about it necessarily, but there's definitely something that happened to me. And I feel like it might happen to you as well. Or it might have happened. You watched some of it and... Um, I'm really curious to find out how you felt about it. You're talking about me? Well, it's funny because you texted me, hey, let's do this stand-up comedy special. And I was like, oh, God. So now the movie podcast is tackling uh, sexual assault allegations. I'm <laughs> sure that's what, what people are here 
to listen for and had a ton of reservations about doing it. Yeah. Still do, but it, you know, it's fun to fun to to row ahead and then started watching it and um saw that Spike Jones directed it and was like, "Oh, that's cool. Why don't you just open with that, Sven?" I would have watched it in a minute because and I then, it, it didn't know. really resonate with me. I wasn't like, "Oh, Spike Jones, this got to be interesting." I was like, I think in the end credits I became aware of it, not in the front. Ah. Well, what's well, the first, you know, it comes up right away and then I assumed that he was filming it like he did with the the Al, little Al Gore documentary he did that's really cool. I think he was. Um and no, he wasn't because immediately Aziz points out the camera guy and it's definitely not Spike Jones. Oh, really? Um, I read it somewhere that that's him. But that the guy on stage is Spike Jones? Yeah, that's what no I way. I mean, maybe he was on a different I don't know, but Spike I, Jones is in Wolf of Wall Street. He's a very different looking man than than that guy. But maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe he grew four feet, and who knows? <laughs> but that's. <laughs> but anyhow, I should just like preface with my my relationship with stand up comedy. Yeah. In terms of specials, like theater, comedy, improv, and this is even something that it's active participation. So I, I've always had, I've never been able to watch or engage in stand-up comedy specials because you know viewing stuff is passive yeah and for me just it doesn't work and there's no there's no real cinematic like for me there's no visual device that's engaging to me so your ultimate feeling and everyone so you'll see like oh cool spike lee did dig a liguizamo special or like oh cool spike jones did this one what's the cool approach and i do think that the one thing i'll say is there is like a unique visual kind of exploration of this Mm -hmm. that i think is kind of cool and i i really hope they shot on film i tried to look at that camera and see but uh Okay, because there's a lot of film. It's either they put the most over-the-top filter on it ever yeah. or just didn't correct it and adjust it <laughs> at all. So so they covered his entire tour on actual film for however long it was? Kodak 16mm film with okay, Jones so operating cool. an up-close camera on stage. That's what it says on Wikipedia. Doing huh. the recording I'll have to... that we that is in the Netflix special. Okay, very cool. Well... So anyways, yeah, so I, I've always just never really been able to get into this stuff. So, Well, for me, it's different. I assault. I love stand-up comedy, and I've never been actually to a live event. So it Good must Lord, be insane man. to be part of one. How? <laughs> but I love watching them. It's kind of my ASMR at night when I fall asleep because it's so nice. You don't have to watch anything. You can just listen. And if you, like, doze off and then you come back, you don't miss anything because it just goes from joke to joke to joke most of the time at least here i think it's it's good to follow the whole thread but so i'm 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 just obsessed with uh, stand up i think it's like such an interesting art form and so entertaining well look i'll i'll go a step further uh i think that stand up has diminished tremendously cuz i know there were times i would watch it and and really laugh at it yeah um but i think some of the reason is that it's just become so accessible to make a special where it used to be if you go see someone's <clears throat> someone doing stand up it's an act they've been working on for like 10 years yeah and now it just seems like oh cool like any like kevin james has a netflix special yeah. Like anyone, it's like, hey, do you want to talk for an hour? Here's like five to fifteen million dollars. Yeah, and there's a lot of that, and I it, bad stuff out there, or like uninteresting, not funny, not thought provoking. So I don't, I don't enjoy yeah. those. I mean, I'm very selective that way. But anyways, that's all my, that's all, that's all I will rant. And I'm looking at pictures of Spike Jones compared to the guy on stage, and Doesn't my look instinct like is guy. still that it's not him. But I guess I don't know. Maybe an argument could be made that it is he's like, well maybe somebody can uh back it up i it's in the wikipedia but who knows if that's reliable i don't doubt Doesn't for a minute matter. that he filmed and followed him around because that's yeah. kind of his mo but it just seems like that's not him but maybe it is i don't know yeah well he didn't burns. introduce him on stage during the special at least not they didn't cut it in so he didn't make a point of hey look at this fancy director that's following me around i'm important he didn't right. say that he, um yeah, he drew attention to the camera guy, but not... Yeah, he just was. said that dude is has a job to do. He's not just a paparazzi yeah. or something like that. Okay, a little Please. setup. Aziz Ansari Right Now is an American stand-up comedy special by Aziz. The special is directed by Spike Jones and premiered on July 9th, 2019 on Netflix. 
In it, Ansari talks about the sexual misconduct controversy he was involved in in the previous year, his relationship with his grandmother and parents, white people who want to appear anti-racist, how the threshold of acceptable behavior has changed over the past decade, and the sexual misconduct of R. Kelly and Michael Jackson. little background. Ansari's previous special, titled... Aziz Ansari, Life at the Madison Square Garden, premiered on Netflix on March 6, 2015. In January 2018, a Babe.net article was published in which an anonymous woman used the pseudonym Grace accused Ansari of sexual misconduct on a date they went on in September 2017. After Ansari published a response to Grace, he reduced his public profile in late 2018, he began performing a stand-up tour entitled Working Out New Material. And this is kind of the end product of that tour. The special was filmed at the Brooklyn Academy of Music on May 16th, 17th, and 18th in 2019. The special was directed by Spike Jones and was mostly filmed on Kodak 16mm film with Jones operating an up-close camera on stage. Steve Bennett of Shorty rated the special 3.5 stars out of 5, noting that it was informed by Anzan's experience of having his reputation so thoroughly raked over, and that Jones' very close-up shots tried to humanize him more. Bennett said that Ansari can be a little self-satisfied, but that the special has probably done enough to repair his fractured reputation. I read a couple of because reviews. It's been on Netflix for a week. It's, yeah. it's done its job. Most of them are somewhat mixed, if not negative. The only like positive one that that I came across, and I haven't read all of them, was in the New Yorker, where somebody said, "This is actually something that is bringing the conversation, putting the conversation forward." The scene that we're about to watch is the beginning, first five minutes, and it's him making a statement about. It feels like a no apology. We're going to get into it. And I was, and I'll talk about how I reacted to it. And um, I've, I've, this is, this is not why I picked this for this episode. I picked this because I feel like he figured something out storytelling wise and he structured this entire act in a way that you don't know it's coming and you really only, at least for me, I was able to understand what's happening until I saw the ending. And then all the puzzle pieces along the way started to make sense to me, and I was able to track back. And I thought, storytelling-wise, this is a really interesting approach to tell a story. And in this particular case, it's like he's trying to make a comeback, right? He's trying to move on, trying to learn and, and get over it. I don't know if if he deserves to do that and whether he succeeded, but this is what the objective was. And I thought it was a really interesting approach to doing that. That's my setup. Hmm. So what we usually do on, on this podcast is we'll watch a scene that is publicly available and we'll leave a link in the podcast description. Now I found something on YouTube that shows this opening. It's a whole thing on a TV show in Canada where they go into it. So we'll leave that link here, but we're actually going to play it off Netflix. And I wanted to really start with the Netflix logo and then go all the way until he's done explaining and then he goes into the routine itself and that's where we stop. And there's some stuff we can talk about filmmaking and editing because the way he sort of cuts the opening I thought was interesting. But then we'll sort of let him talk about how he sets this up and go from there. We're going to play this in three, two, one, click. There we go. I got the Netflix logo right now. Very iconic, obviously. Means a lot these days. So, shot on Aziz as he's walking down a Brooklyn street. He's kind of smiley. He's like talking to the camera but we don't hear what he's saying he's crossing the street he's like uh, kind of timid at this point the street is kind of empty there are a couple of cars but mostly you just make me mad he's on the other side on the pavement keeps walking keeps talking to the cameraman we don't hear it handheld this is all intercut with some slates of the movie we just saw Spike Jones. 
And the song is kind of very like understated. So he goes through a back door and then immediately is on a stage of just this massive theater. I don't know, 2,000 people maybe in there? Sure. Thought of you as everything. He lifts his arms, he welcomes them, he's on stage, they're all standing. At this point, I'm thinking, how did he get so many people to actually show up at this point of his career? I mean, Charlie Sheen was doing sold-out shows too, so... <laughs> True. You don't know the agenda of the audience. That's true. So he sits <laughs> down on the stool. His voice sort of trickles in. He thanks the audience. Take a seat. Take a seat. Thanks so much. Wow, what a nice welcome. Wow, wow, wow. So we're handheld. By the way, this guy's with me. He's, uh, he's authorized. He's not like a very... Uh, audacious bootlegger who really yeah maybe it is Spike Jones he has those little shoes on you said no phones but what about full on cameras uh, back to the camera yeah, back to that POV show. shot uh, you know you might be at the show uh, when it's on whatever I put it on you'll be like oh shit I was there <laughs> but we're filming a few shows so if you're like the shitty crowd we won't use any of the footage <laughs> um, cut to the audience laughing well, the implication is that they filmed all of them also, and then this was just the one they went with. Yeah. It's interesting that in the background you can see, like, backstage area is fully lit and people are standing there. Probably just to give this shot at some depth. Yeah, I did appreciate the perspective, like, covering stand-up comedy this way. Like, uh, hey man, love the Netflix show. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. He's like, yeah, yeah, I really liked the episode you did on Supreme. And I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't do no episode on Supreme. And then I quickly realized he's talking about Hassan Minaj. <laughs> Patriot Act. Different show, different guy. So a fan mistook him and on the street. He felt horrible, right? And he immediately realized his mistake and he was trying to buy it back. He's like, oh, no, 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 Aziz, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Master and Nun, yeah, yeah, that's me. Parks and Rec, yeah, yeah, that's me. Treat yourself, yeah, yeah, that's me. And uh, you had that whole thing last year, sexual misconduct. No, 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 no. That was Hassan. Blame someone else for it. It's great. Yeah, I'm like, okay, dude, that's your comeback? You know, I, I haven't said much about that whole thing. Uh, but I've talked about it on this tour. Okay, so you, now you're going to take this seriously. Let's see what you got to say. There's some of you that are curious how I feel about that whole situation. And uh, it's a tricky thing for me to answer because I felt so many things in the last year or so. There's times I felt scared. There's times I felt humiliated. There's times I felt embarrassed. And ultimately, I just felt terrible that this person felt this way. And after a year or so, I just hope it was a step forward. What we're talking about, we don't know, right? Unless you've read the articles. I hope I become a better person. And I always think about a conversation I had with one of my friends where he was like, you know what, man? That old thing made me think about every date I've ever been on. And I thought, wow, well, that's pretty incredible. This made not just me, but other people be more thoughtful, then that's a good thing. Really? And that's how I feel about it. And I know that's a good this thing. isn't the most hilarious way to begin a comedy show. <laughs> but it's important to me that you know how I feel about that whole thing before we share this night together. Okay, friendly audience. I'm like, I'm not buying this at all. This is your excuse, and then you want to move on? Well, that was pretty intense. <laughs> what else should we was talk it? about? <laughs> America. All right, and then he gets into his routine. So that's five minutes. Yeah, so we can stop it right here. We tap out now. Yeah, so I don't know. How did you feel <laughs> after just seeing that? Are you good with him now? No, because it's not an apology. It's part of an act yeah. that's been done around the country. You know, it's not... I mean, whatever. He did apologize previously, et cetera, et cetera. But it just he felt did. to me 
gen, you know, whether, whether it's coming from a real place or not, whatever happened in that situation, I wasn't there. I can't say, obviously you always have to, I mean, give a victim the benefit of the doubt, but that to me was reminiscent of, of listening to a politician talk Yeah, is what it felt like watching it. It was like, uh, God, okay. That's cool. what what I would call a non-apology. Like you, ex- right? It's a performance. Uh, you're explaining things, but you're not taking responsibility. Which I mean, I but I mean, I don't know the case specifically. I don't know what happened. So he made that choice. He responded at some point, and you said he did apologize, which I kind of remember that he did. But at this stage, I was like, dude, I'm not buying it. It's not even genuine to me. I think this is like you're trying to just like address the issue without really addressing it it's remember that car commercial from vw that's playing right now where they're like (laughs) talking about the scandal and that they've learned from it and now they're going all electric if you if you watch that commercial closely you have no idea what the scandal is or what they're talking about it's like it's playing some news snippets but they cut it off just before (laughs) It's being addressed, and then you see a guy like late at night in the office, like Jesus, we just fucked up. What are we gonna do now? Let's go back to the drawing board. Oh, I have an idea. Let's go all electric, playing that to the sound of silence. I believe it's not really. It's hinting at oh, there's we did something bad, and now we need to find a way to come back from it. But it's never saying, oh, sorry, we cheated on the TDI so that we can sell this car and make more money. And we're okay with people dying because the emissions are much higher than what the regulations are. Sorry about that whole incident. Now we've learned and now we're going to go all clean emission. Um, It doesn't say that in the ad. And I kind of feel like this is the same thing here. He doesn't say anything i don't know if he needs to or has to not familiar with the case but it feels like he's kind of addressing it without really addressing it so that he can get to what he really wants to achieve which is he wants to get back on stage he wants to do his next special his next routine and he wants to be able to continue a career after this come back which a lot of this is the situation we have these days is that a lot of these artists can't come back, at least not right now. They haven't figured out a way. And this is his attempt of doing that. Well, also, if you want to work and networks and studios aren't going to take a gamble on you, yeah. you can always pre-sell a theater with tickets and make money. Which it feels like he probably did, because at the beginning he says, okay, well, you you audience, if you're good enough, you might be in whatever this is going to be in. It's kind of hints like they hadn't, they didn't make the deal with Netflix yet at the point. Right, yeah. So he's, but he's making money performing, which yeah. is... but it's self-financed, possibly. Which is why I always said Louis C.K., everyone, yourself included, was always like, oh, Louis C.K. is such a genius... You know, he's figured out this this way to, you know, just independently distribute his own stuff. I think that entire thing was purely because he was knew what was coming. He knew he was going to pay the piper eventually and just figuring just minimizing the damage yeah. um, by being able to, to distribute his own material. Well, didn't he distribute his own material before he even like blew up? Yeah, not before he began masturbating in front of. True. So I'm sure that was part of it, but like as it got bigger and bigger, as he got bigger and bigger, like he moved more of it towards that platform. And yeah, um, yeah, he I definitely questioned the genuine. Yeah, he definitely innovated on that idea, and it's sort of it's part of the reason why there's so many comedy specials now. People realize, oh, you can make money with this, and then Netflix paid for a lot of these specials. But then if you didn't get a Netflix special, you could always try and self-finance it and then try and sell it to somebody. Yeah. I mean, HBO really moved the special game forward and then Comedy Central. And then Netflix is just trying to, uh, comics claim, trying to corner the market on everything. So that's why they're buying up. You know, they're just trying to get something from everyone. Um, Like Dave Chappelle, even though it was like an enjoyable one. HBO created the genre, possibly. Back then, 
you had to really be somebody to get an HBO special. And then Netflix... Well, it was a big break. And we'll see yeah. us getting on Carson, you know, I mean... Yes. And Netflix sort of made it more mainstream. Now almost anyone can get a special. A lot more, at least. But also, like, re- records of specials and stuff were a thing for a long time. Yeah. So, anyway, so at this... goal is to have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I was not really bought in to the special at all. I was like, okay, this was a whole, I don't know if you succeeded with this. The audience kind of is more on board than I was at this point, which I understand because they're probably there and they made some investment to get there, which is I got a babysitter, they got got to get an Uber, they got to make this time available, they want to be there. They want to have a good time. So it's maybe a little bit They've easier warmed f- up for them to buy into comics. this. Yeah, true. Maybe they're drunk. Yeah. I mean, they're here for special, so it could also be a very selective audience. Definitely some fans. But then I was sort of following this whole special and I was watching it. And he takes a lot of stabs at different people. Uh, he talks about R. Kelly. He talks about Michael Jackson. He actually really like puts some people in the audience on the spot. And then he intersperses it with everything that he's done bad. For example, he was fat shaming his cousin back in a routine. He wouldn't do that today anymore because times have changed. And that's the whole theme of the special. It's like we well, are living in a different time. Let me ask you a question, time. though. Yep. Does he, because I didn't get to that part, does he use any of the fat shaming thing? Does he score laughs off of saying any of the things he said to his cousin? Well, he he puts jokes in there throughout, but the joke is not you're fat. Right, but if he's if he's using it to get laughs, like the things he said before, like, can you believe I would say this? Like, that's just, it's the same thing as when he does, like, a broad an offensive yeah. impression of an Asian stereotype for a laugh within the context of this isn't, this isn't okay anymore. It wasn't this bad. And it's like, you, I mean, it's just like just different kind of lead-ins to the same old like shit, yeah. which I kind of call, there's a lot of safism. Like who is like, you know, it's kind of comedy is just one thing all the time. So it's like, Oh, who can we be racist? Like who's it safe to be racist towards yeah. now? So it's not yeah. like the ball's really moving forward at all with anything. It's hard for me to answer it for you whether he does that or not. I feel like he uses these things strategically. For one, he wants to like put the light somewhere else. Say, uh, look, I've done these things. They are bad. Look at me admitting how bad I was. Look at these other people and they've done things that are so much worse. Well, he makes up a whole thing and he's like, well, so how can you believe anything if you believe that? Right. Did you get to the part where he talks about the pizza, that there was a swastika on the pizza? Right, that's what I was just referencing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Goes through this whole routine that people were upset, outraged, blah, 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 blah. And then he asked the audience, so who of you saw the story? And people raised their hand. And who of you thought this is ridiculous, so upsetting? And people raised their hands. And then he says, well, I just made this whole thing up. And then he talks about how we always feel like we need to have an opinion about things. Like there's a news story. We don't even know if this news story is real or not. doesn't matter. It's like we're put in a position or we're putting ourselves in a position that we need to have an opinion about this. We need to reinforce our belief system. So he starts really questioning how we are dealing with all these stories with news with truth with reality and how difficult it has become nowadays to really keep an even keel about everything and that's when i started to become more interested it wasn't so much like i i didn't really buy into this whole thing until maybe halfway in and by the time he was done at the end and I'm not going to reveal how he like unravels this whole thing. I was like, okay, this is an attempt to repair something. And what he accomplishes along the way is is a bigger thing. And I think it's worthwhile what he tried here, which is that he really was able to create conversation at points where we forgot how to have conversations about issues. It's much more we need to reinforce our belief system with everything that we hear. 
that's the reason why I thought, wow, okay, he had a master plan for this entire special and he's turning the audience or he's turning the viewer around. And at least for me, I felt like, wow, he really pointed to some things that makes it easier for me to deal with the onslaught of information that we get, how we need to protect ourselves from just the emotional component. I thought that's really, really interesting how you use storytelling to do that. Yeah, and of course, Jordan Peele's fake news Obama video is great too. Yeah. So the takeaway for editors is? If you if you figure out what the, the higher goal is that you have, whatever that is, even if it's something that you want to avoid, there's a way how you can do it to tackle some hard topics. Yeah, and I think it's cool to... You know, we don't know that a conversation started. We don't know what the success of it is um, at all. It's just something else that's on Netflix. And time will time will show the effect that, that this has. But I think getting people like Spike Jones and stuff on board is a cool thing. But I also wonder, you know, Spike Jones getting involved, if his intention was really to make us like just a, a single performance special of Aziz Ansari, which is literally what it is. Maybe they just sold that to Netflix for some cash. But it really seems like the kind of thing that a filmmaker like that would probably be more interested in following someone who's going through this Me Too moment. Maybe he's following multiple people that are um, from the perspective of the perpetrator or the accused perpetrator and trying to put their crew together. So maybe he, it, it seems like he was maybe trying to make a documentary um, and maybe that's ultimately where this is headed rather than, you know, just filming a special. But, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And this is just one of the things to come out of it. And I don't know, maybe just the way things have played out has led that to becoming the result. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens from here. Yeah, I think so. I don't think he's figured it out yet, but I think he, he took some interesting steps. He made it work for me. Awesome. I am neutral. I mean, one, one thing is clear if what he did, if he made somebody feel assaulted and that's despicable and that's terrible and the best thing he can do is to acknowledge it and apologize and i think he sort of did i read the statement he said he wasn't aware that that's what's going on he thought it was consensual and if it wasn't that he's sorry for creating those feelings it's probably not enough thank you to everyone for listening to this unorthodox version of our own podcast with its own coded hidden meanings within. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend about it. If you hate what you're hearing, tell a friend about it. If you can tell for sure whether that's Spike Jones or not, I'm a little more believing it's him because Wikipedia said it was. So now I have to believe that uh, as we learn from the special. And if you like the music, it's curtamusic.com. And as Sven always says... Yeah, I'd be very curious to find out what you think, if you've seen the special, what it did for you. Yeah, I would love that conversation. So hit us back on at thisguyedits.com. And as I always say, happy editing. <laughs> this one always says okay sorry i screwed that ending up we got to get we got to get back in the swing here oh man no worries how how much did you watch